morning, uh, we're, we're going through a series, and right now we're, we've been talking about, Pastor Terry started last week with this, uh, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Um, it's, a, it's a great word picture, because uh, how much, where does fruit come from? It comes from the vine. And if we are va- branches actually attached to the vine, fruit comes out of us, not because of who we are, but because of who we're attached to. Amen. Uh, and if, um, uh, if I take and cut the branch off from the vine, how much fruit am I going to produce? Not a whole lot. This isn't, it's, it's a, it's not trick question, right? Nothing, right? Um, so what we're going to look at this morning going through this is kind of tied to that. It's this, is that God's plan is our business. In that, in that we are attached to the vine, he says that we can literally do nothing apart from him. Um, this is personal message to me because this is what uh, brought me to God to begin with. Um, I was about 19, 20 years old, and I was looking at my life and looking at my future. I had been engaged and uh, as I was considering my future, so I heard somebody quote something, and that quote was this. The average man died age 21, buried age 65. And that quote, just the Lord wouldn't leave me alone with it. Uh, thinking of living a life that had no meaning and purpose for the rest of my life. It was, uh, it was despairing. It was fearful. It was fitful. Um, and I, 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 I'm determined in my mind, I have to have a reason that I'm on this earth. There's got to be a reason. My whole hope can't be my two-week vacation every year. That can't be my hope. That can't be what I'm looking for, what I'm living for. And it drove me. It drove me. I, I, I finally I made the decision what I wanted to live for is the truth. And Jesus said, got you now. Because guess who the truth is? Guess who the truth is? That's right. So as we talk about this this morning, as we go into this, God's plan is our business. This isn't, this, this isn't just that um, uh, God wants to get in our business. It's literally why we exist. So as we go through this, I want you to listen from that place, from, from that place of why you exist. You see, we're not here uh, by random accident. There's no accidents here. If anybody here could claim being an accident, I could. There's no accidents here. We're all here because God desires us to be here. And so I want us to, to listen and, and examine these scriptures. Man, I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures this morning, and many of them will be very familiar to us. We've heard them before. But I want us to listen uh, in, in that these are speaking literally to our reality. They speak to our very existence. So it says this in Exodus. This is um, um, uh, just the overall theme. God works through his servants. God works through his servants. This is the overall theme. And, and just to, before I get into the first scripture, I'll tell you where we're going to go. We're going to say God's business is our business. And then we're going to look at seven realities. Seven realities that take God's business, make it our business, and literally we get to experience him because of it. 
Now, how many people are excited that, that, that God has actually provided a path for you to experience him, to know him? It's an intentional path. And then finally what we're going to look at when we're, when we're finished that is, is there's nobody here too small, too weak, too little, too insignificant. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, what you've done, where you've been. It matters where you're going. It matters where you're going. All right, so let's start. We're going to, look, we're going to start in Exodus 3. And, and the picture we have here is we have a picture of God talking to Moses. And so Moses is, um, uh, he's, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, but Moses is, uh, has been in the desert for 40 years. He's an 80-year-old man at this point, um, and he's heading up a mountain. He's got the sheep, and he sees uh, a burning bush over here. He goes over, and God begins to speak to him, and this is what God says. So I have come down to rescue them, talking about the Israelites, from the land, hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now notice, God just told Moses what his plan was. This is why I've come down. I've come down right here, right now, in this moment, in this time, and this is the plan, and this is what I'm going to accomplish. Everybody catch that. Now what does he say right after that? He says, so now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, uh, uh, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Do you notice something? God has a plan. His plan is to deliver the Israelites, and God makes his plan Moses' business. You see, God wants to work in this world, and how he wants to work is through you and through me. That is how God has chosen to work in this world. He has a plan, and he's chosen to work that way. So there's another scripture. We've probably read this scripture or heard it dozens of times before. But I want us to hear some distinctions in this verse. This is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 28, some of the very last verses. Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples, and, and he's given what's called the Great Commission. And this is what he says. Jesus said, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority, heaven and earth, given to me. And then he says, Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch what happened there? What did Jesus say? He says, all authority belongs to me. Therefore, go. If you're my disciple, go. You see, Jesus has a plan. What is Jesus' plan? To extend his authority over all of heaven and earth. And how does Jesus want to accomplish that? By you and I going. How many of you thought to yourself, God's plan to extend the authority of Jesus over heaven and earth? Jesus does. That's what Jesus considers you. God's plan to extend the authority of Jesus over heaven and earth. To make disciples, baptizing, teaching. Let me ask a question. Have all nations been reached? Let's say yes or no. No. Then if they've not been reached, the business isn't completed. Now, there's something else that I want us to get out of that scripture. At the very end of the scripture, it says this. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. When he says, lo, I am with you to the end of the age, you know why that's important? Because who are the people alive at the end of the age? Well, at least right now we are. 
So Jesus wasn't just talking to the 12 or the 120 or the ones who were with him. He was talking to all people who call themselves his disciple in all times. Lest somebody read it and say, yeah, well, Jesus was talking to them. This was the great suggestion, right? So he's talking about us. He's talking to us. There's one thing I remember this. If you read the scriptures, one of the things that will really, really help when you read through the scriptures, we talked about this on Wednesday night, is when you read them, read them understanding something. Read them that they weren't written to us, but they were written for us. You see, if you read them and that they weren't written to us, you try to understand what he was saying to them in their time. But if you understand they're written for us, you try to see how does that apply to us in our time. Amen? All right. That wasn't part of the message. That was free. That's extra. All right. So what's the conclusion? What's the conclusion? We look, we look at Jesus. We talk about the Lord talking to, to, to Moses. We look at Jesus talking to the disciples. The primary means in which God acts in the world is through his servants. The primary means God acts in the world is through his servants. We are literally, you've heard this before, we're literally the hands and feet of Jesus and his mouth and everything else. You don't think so? What's he say is going to happen? You remember Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats? We're going to stand before him. Did you feed the sick? I mean, did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the sick? Did you clothe the, those without clothing? Did you visit those in prison? Well, God is moving in the world. There's not a question of whether or not God's moving. The only question is, is whether you or I are participating with him in that because he expects us to. All right, now, here's the big question. God doesn't really need us. I mean, if God is God, he doesn't really need us. Why? Why would he make his plan dependent on you and I? I mean, look, seriously, would you stand up here and make your plan to change the world on you and I? Anybody honest this morning? Would that be in your plan? Say, we're going to change the world, and you know what? I'm going to trust you to do it. I'm just going to trust you to do it. Why? Why would God do that? Can I tell you why? It's very simple. There's something absolutely amazing. There's something absolutely incredible that happens when we participate with God in his purposes. First of all, it's our created purpose to begin with. When we fulfill our created purpose by participating with him in fulfilling his purposes in the world, something absolutely amazing, something absolutely incredible, we actually experience the living God. Anybody ever had a moment when they've prayed for someone and they've seen that person's life touched? When they've done something for someone and they've lifted their spirits? When, when, when they have reached out to someone and, and you've seen transformation and change and help and hope in their life when there wasn't any? That's amazing. You see, the psalmist put it this way. David wrote this way in Psalm 16. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, God has a path for us to participate with him. Why? Because he wants us to enjoy him. To enjoy him, to experience him. Henry and Richard Blackaby put together seven realities. And I like what they call, they call these realities. Seven realities. Seven realities to experiencing God. I, I love that word because it's not seven truths. It's not seven steps. It's not a sevenfold path. Reality is what? Reality is a reflection of what is. 
These are seven realities, seven things that are, that exist, in which if we enter into these things, we can experience the living God. We become God's servants through whom he works. Anybody desire that? Anybody else desire that? All right. So what are those seven things? Number one, God is already working. See, it's, we're not waiting for God to work. God is already at work. It's not whether or not he's working. He's doing it all the time. Number two, he pursues a continuing love relationship. And he wants that love relationship to be real, and he wants it to be personal. Number three, God invites us into his work. Number four, God speaks to reveal himself. And when he's revealing himself, he's telling us his purposes. He's given us his ways. Number five, God's invitation leads us to a crisis of belief. Oh, does it ever. God's invitation leads us to a crisis. And what does it require? It requires us to step out in faith and take action. Number six, we have, we have to make major adjustments in our lives to join God in his work. And number seven, we come to know and experience God once we've obeyed him. Once we've adjusted our lives and, what, and, and we, we, we obey what he says, we actually experience him. We actually know him. But it doesn't happen until after we've obeyed. It doesn't happen until after we have stepped out. Now, I'm going to go through these in brief this morning. Uh, over the next several weeks, you'll hear us go through several of these, you know, more in depth. But uh, this is just to kind of introduce us to this and get excited about desiring to experience God, to be his hands and feet, to be willing vessels to allow him to work through us. All right, so number one, God's already working. How many know God is literally alive and already working today? Jesus said, the Father and I are working. You know, we've, we never stop. They never, never cease. Now, um, uh, I'm going to read some, uh, some of the story of Moses here. This is in Exodus chapter 2. It says this. During those uh, many days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their heavy slavery and cried out for help. How many of us have ever been in that place when we're crying out to God for help and wondering, is God working? Is God moving? And here's Israel crying out for help. Why? Israel had gone to Egypt, and they literally brought blessing into the land. They literally brought flourishing into the land. They literally brought salvation into the land. And they, they grew up, and they got strong. Another king rises up from jealousy, from, from uh, bitterness, from hatred. He enslaves. How many know that's the way of the world? He enslaves them. And so they cry out to God for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God is the God who hears. He's the God who sees. He is always working. I mean, if you, if you read the, uh, Daniel and you look at the end of Daniel, in fact, the book of Daniel was written because Israel was taken off in exile, separated from their land, their temple was destroyed, their kings were put in jail and killed, they were, they were taken as foreign, as foreign prisoners in an exile, and they're going, God, where are you? And God shows himself over and over and over in exile demonstrating. And there's one point where Daniel's praying, he's fasting for 21 days, and, the, and this spiritual being shows up and says, Daniel, God heard you from the beginning. But there was a spiritual war going on, it took me 21 days to get here. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, one, the way that we can know that God is always working in this world is he has told us, he has giving us, given us his word, he has carried out his word over and over and over again, and he will carry out his word. His promises. 
Do you notice what's put in juxtaposition in this text? They're in slavery, they're crying out, and God's covenant is in the opposite. God will keep faithful to his covenant. What was his covenant? God will bless those who bless you, Abraham. God will curse those who curse you. At the moment they're going through the most difficult time, they're going, where's, what's, where's the blessing, Lord? But it was coming. It was coming. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So number two, God pursues a continual love relationship that's real and personal. See, this is really important. Because could God have just come down uh, 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 without Moses, without anyone else, and just moved things around himself and made it all happen? Yes, but that's not the point. That's not the purpose. Why did God create you and me to begin with? He created us. He wants a relationship with us. If he wants a relationship with us, that's real. It's personal. So his intention was to work through man to accomplish his purposes. First John, the apostle John writes it this way. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you hear that? How do we know God loves us? Because he sent his one unique son into this world that we could have life. We were sold out to slavery under the power of death. And he sent his son to die on our behalf that we could have life. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Would that we could, you know, spend all morning just breaking that down. But here's the bottom line of this. How many know we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions? But you did this. Yeah, but I meant this. This is what I meant. Why is that important? Because we don't really see the reality of of our sin and our rebellion before God. Because that, when it says he was the propitiation for our sins, what that means, would that we had time to develop it out, was that we are in 100% complete, utter, willful rebellion to God, period. But I didn't mean that, God. It says so much so that we suppress the truth. It's not that there, you know, the Bible says this over and over. It's not that there's a lack of evidence. It's that we suppress it. We don't want to see it. We come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses not to see it. Now, how much love does it take to say, I'm going to die for that person? I'm going to send my son to die for that person. That's the relationship I want to restore, I want to reconcile. You see, this thing in this relationship with Jesus isn't just about getting a warm, fuzzy feeling inside so I go to heaven and have happy, happy hereafter. It's literally about reconciling and restoring our rebellion back to him. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, he gave his life down for us. He is the propitiation. So whatever we're going through, whenever we're facing trials, whenever we're facing struggles, at bottom line, we can come back and say, I know he loves me. I know he loves me because, quite frankly, I wouldn't have died for me. Truth be told, I wouldn't have died for me. Says so by this we know in, in, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. 
My goodness, there's one thing the Bible talks about, that it's not until you actually enter into a faith-trust relationship with him that the Holy Spirit actually comes into your lives and, and, and opens your eyes to see things you could never see before. It's, it's like, try to explain that. Sometimes we can't, but what we have to do is live it. That's how we explain it. How do you live it? You live it by being his love to others. That same love he showed toward us, we show others. And you can do that by his power working through you. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he and God. Do you hear this? You see, confessing Jesus, again, isn't about punching a ticket to get to heaven. It's about the living God wanting to come and dwell in you. Make you his temple. Make you the place that is holy on earth. So we come to know and to believe that the love of God, that, that, that the love that God has for us. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. By the way, not all love is love. The Bible says this. It says, love not the world, love God. We have to make a choice with our love. We have to choose the world or we have to choose God. It says, love not the world. The love of God is not in you. So that's abiding in God's love. When we abide in his love, when we know that. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. The fear has to do, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This is what he's saying. Listen, God doesn't desire that a one of us ends up in judgment. That's not his heart. That's not his desire. The fact of the matter is that's the path we're on. What he does because he loves us is offer the path off of it. That's what Jesus did. Here's the path off of judgment. What do you think salvation means? Salvation from what? Salvation from judgment. You see, nobody gets away with anything. As much as God is merciful, he is also just. And we will either receive the justice he has provided for us, or we will receive the justice we want in its place. But notice, that's real and that's personal. And so, because he's loved me, I can, I can know that I am loved and I can love others. But how, how can we experience this love that God has for us? How can we experience it? Number three, God invites us into his work. This, we're back to the story with Moses. I already, already covered this. I'm just going to read it again. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up into, a, 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 bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear the heart of God. I want to deliver them. I want to bring them out. I want to bring them into a land of milk and honey. I want them to, to, to come into a, a, a relationship with me. And guess what, Moses? Guess what? You're going to do it. 
If you say you have a relationship with Jesus and he has brought you out, then Jesus is saying to you, guess what, Christian? You get to do that for others. Now, Moses actually had a plan. How many know Moses had a plan? Moses tried it. He didn't like the fact the Egyptians were, 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 were suppressing the people. So he goes out. What's he do? He goes out and tries to solve it himself. And somebody ends up getting murdered. And then he ends up getting caught. And he ends up being exiled out of the land and living in the wilderness for 40 years. You see, the difference is this, is that are we asking God to bless our plan? Or are we saying, God, what are you doing so we can get in on that? God has the plan and is inviting you and I to be a part of that. You see, when we do that, God has revealed his ways and we begin to walk in those. So what are those ways? How does he reveal that? God, God speaks to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. When God speaks, he reveals himself. He reveals his purposes. He reveals his ways. So we're going to look at the scene here. Moses is, I want you to picture this scene, Okay. So Moses, again, he's 80 years old. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's been doing the shepherd thing for 40 years, okay? And he's got his sheep, and he's, um, he's, he's grazing them. And when you, when you have animals, you graze animals, you go to where there's fertile patches of land, and you graze them for a while, and you take them to another place. So he's up on the side of this mountain, and he's going, and, um, and it says this in, in Exodus chapter 2. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. Now, catch what just happened here, because we can miss it. It's simple to miss. God was working. God is always working. God appeared in a place for Moses to see him. But do you know what it took? It took Moses to turn aside from what he was doing to figure out what was going on. If you want to get on what God is doing, it's going to take you to, 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 to turn aside from your day-to-day, every day, and turn your attention to him. If you are not paying attention to him, you will miss him. He, he said through Jeremiah, he says, you will see, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you're not seeking, God's not going to reveal himself. Why? Because you don't want to know him. You don't want to know. And so it took Moses wanting to know. God's over here doing this. Moses has to turn aside. So he turns aside and, 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 uh, to, to see what's going on. And then the Lord speaks to him. The Lord calls to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. It's not until Moses has turned his attention to God. Was God already there? Yeah. Was God already working? Yes. That wasn't the issue. The issue was whether or not Moses was looking, seeking, and listening Verse 5, then he said, do not come near, take, off the, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. The first thing we have to understand when we're coming to God is he is not like anyone in the world. He is completely other and he is completely holy. Does that mean he doesn't want to be? No, no, no. He wants to pull us to his holiness. He wants to reveal that holiness to us. But we don't approach God on our terms. We approach him on his terms. I've heard that before. Like, well, if God just can't accept me, that's too bad for God. You don't know what you're saying. 
You don't know what you're saying. Can I tell you something? The most fearful thing to come before is not ultimate evil. Because if you come before ultimate evil, there's a hope somebody might rescue. The most fearful thing to come before is pure, holy goodness. Because you and I don't measure up and we don't have any hope. If that holy goodness does not offer us mercy, we're done. So God is there, wants to have a conversation with Moses, but he has to tell Moses, listen, I'm holy. You can't just come walking in how you want. So he says, I am the God of your... uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Notice, notice the first place he goes to. He goes to all of the promises he's made. He goes to all of the covenants. I am the God who has a covenant relationship established in the earth, and I am going to keep my word. Not only am I holy, not only am I just, but I am covenant faithful, chesed. The word of God will stand, and it's the first thing he turns to. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Do you notice what he's saying in all of these things? What he is speaking is his purposes. His purpose is to deliver. His purpose is to set people free. His purpose, he hears the affliction. He hears the cries. Now here's my question. What is your burning bush moment? When have you turned aside to seek God? When are you turning away from the normal to seek the holy? We say we want to see God move in the world. Are we turning aside from the normal to seek the holy? Are we willing to put down the way we would do it in order to find out how he would do it? God's revealing himself, his purpose, his ways. And he's here to remove suffering. That may mean we have to go through suffering to do it. But that's redemptive called the cross you see the one thing we have with jesus is he enters into our suffering that's what the cross is so i said before the conclusion was the primary means in which god wants to act in the world is through his servants we're his hands and feet but let me ask this how many of us want to blame god but are not willing to do what's necessary to change the world ourselves If we're the method, why are we blaming God? So God, God's invitation, he's inviting Moses. Moses, go. And what does it lead to? It leads to a crisis of belief. Why? Because when God speaks, it requires faith and action. When God speaks, it requires faith and action. So what happens? Uh, uh, God speaks. What does Moses say? But Moses said to God, "Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, that's too big. I can't do that. Who am I? I'm insignificant. I'm an 80-year-old shepherd out here in the field. 
God, God said, did, did I ask you your qualifications? Moses says, but, 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 but God, suppose I go to the Israelites, the God of your fathers, and say the God of your fathers and sent me, and they say, what's his name? What shall I tell him? Tell them. Because that's an easy one. My covenant name. He says, he says but, but, but God, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? Anybody afraid of that? Well, I can't tell people. I mean, if I tell people I was a believer, they're going to think I'm crazy. If I tell people God spoke to me, God revealed something to me, they're going to think I'm nuts. Well, um, you're in good company. Moses thought the same thing 3,500 years ago. That's nothing new. He's not asking what other people will think of you because of it. He said, well, well, God, pardon your servant. Lord, I have never been eloquent. I'm not a good speaker, nor in the past, uh, 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 nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't have the education. I don't know how. And and, and God's like, "And, and your point is? I'm not asking you because you're an eloquent speaker. He said, he said, but God, just send somebody else. And you know what? God will. He will send somebody. Just like, he, just like Mordecai told Esther. Esther, this is your moment. This is your moment to go before the king. Yeah, you might die, but this is your moment. God's going to bring his plan of salvation to this world. This is your moment, Esther. This is your moment. You either take it or somebody else does it. How do you want to go down in history? Do you want to go down in history as the one who had the opportunity to walk away? Or do you want to go down in the history as the one who took it, stepped out? Because it says in Hebrews, it is appointed unto man once to, to die and then the judgment. So finally, two last steps. We have to make, let me say this first. What's your crisis of belief to faith and action? Are you too old? Moses was 80. Abraham was 75. It was as much a change for them as it was for us. Are you too young? Samuel was a boy. When God spoke to him, literally a boy, a child. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. God said, don't say you're too young. Are you not educated enough? Are you too educated? That's probably the bigger issue. We must make major adjustments in our lives to join God in his work. That's the fact. The fact is we have to adjust our life to God. So, so God speaks to, to Moses, and, and, um, and what does he do? He goes back to Egypt. For, for the, um, lo, the Lord says to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So what did Moses do? He took his wife and his sons, had them ride a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. See, there was nothing doing but the doing. He's the one that had to leave everything in his life and move to the other place. But why? To accomplish God's purpose. Whenever we are confronted, faith, those faith steps are going to cause us to have to take a step out. Um, I'm not going to go through it this morning, but, go, but check out Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 29, and all of the faith steps that the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about Moses. 
He refused to be called a son of Pharaoh. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt. He left Egypt uh, um, for fear of a king in order to follow a God he couldn't see. He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the first might not touch them. And he took the people of God across the Red Sea on dry land. And then the Egyptians, when they attempted to do it because they didn't do it in faith, were drowned. So what is the result? What is the result of that? I hope what you see is a path here because the result's not about the result. This is a path. God is moving. He's acting. He's doing. And, and, and he wants you. He wants you in a love relationship with him, a real relationship that's personal. And he has a plan. And he says, listen, I've got a plan already. Just Come into the plan that I have. And then when we hear that plan, we're going to go, oh, my Lord, that plan? And God goes, yeah, but it'll be okay. And then we step into that plan. And when we step into that plan, why? Because it is a God-sized plan, not a man-sized plan. God shows up. We can know and experience God once we have obeyed him and God has accomplished his work through us. Notice. They didn't know that the wall of the Red Sea was going to stay open until they got to the other side. Moses, he, God tells, you know, I'll just read this one verse here. It says, um, um, Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. <laughs> so Moses holds his staff up. God doesn't part the sea until Moses holds his staff up. Could God have parted the sea without Moses holding his staff up? Yes. But God doesn't, will not, until Moses holds it up. Moses has to obey first. Then God parts the sea. Now that the sea is parted, the Israelites still got to go through it. How many of us would be willing to walk through two walls of water that could literally drown you? Well, I mean, if you have an army chasing you to the side, you might be a little willing. So they do, they don't know God's actually going to keep it open until they get to the other side. They get to the other side, the wall's staying up, and here comes the army. They go, what do we do now? God, again, doesn't move until Moses puts his arms. He says, Moses, put your arms back up. God wants to move in this world, but he wants to do it through you and me. Every step of this story requires man to participate with God in order for God to do what he wants to do. Even the miraculous. All right, we'll close out with this. This is it. What can one ordinary person do? James says this. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed, prayed again, and, uh, uh, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore fruit. You catch what he says? James is making the point here. We can go back in the Old Testament and we read about the prophet Elijah. And we can look at all these great works we could do. And we go, oh my goodness, he was such a spiritual giant. And what, Elijah, what James is saying is, no. He was a dude. He had the same passions we did. Jezebel gave him a little threat and he ran for his life. But he believed God. When God said, you pray and I'll stop it from raining, he goes, okay. And he adjusted his life to the word of God. Here's, a, here's another one, right? Um, uh, 
Now, this is in the book of Acts. Now, when they, so I'm at the Sanhedrin, uh, um, these are all the, the, the well-educated leaders of Israel. When, when, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What was the difference that made, what made all the difference in the life of Peter and John? Being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus offers you the same invitation to be with him. Anybody ever heard of a guy named D.L. Moody? Anybody heard of D.L. Moody? If you've not heard of him, he's literally one of the greatest evangelists of mo- in modern times. Thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ through D.L. Moody. He, in America, in Britain, you know, he was poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman. Poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman. But he heard somebody. Somebody said this. This guy's name was uh, Henry Varley. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And so one day, Moody is, is, is listening to Spurgeon preach, and he's looking at Spurgeon, and Spurgeon is an amazing preacher, and he's listening to the message, and finally it hits him. The reason why he's an amazing preacher isn't because of how great Spurgeon is, it's because of how great Spurgeon's God is. And if God will do that through Spurgeon, why won't he do that through me? And he took this poorly educated, common, uh, unordained shoe salesman and turned into an evangelist who's reached thousands and thousands of people. I'm going to read a quote, and we'll close with this to step on. Michael Heiser has a book written, What Does God Want? How many know if you read the beginning of creation, God did a whole lot of creating uh, before he created Adam and Eve. And he said this, he said, nothing in all of creation before Adam and Eve could enjoy a relationship with God. He created land. He created the waters. He created the, 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 the birds. He created the animals. He created the plants. He created a whole lot of creating. But there was nothing in creation that could enjoy a relationship with God. What did God want? He created, so he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created you and I in his image. What do you mean? Like him. Why? So we can enjoy him. So we can reflect him. So we can have a relationship with him. So we can participate with him. And this is what, this is what Heiser says. It was God's original desire that every human being would be his child and partner. We have a mission. Every person, no matter how small or weak or short-lived, has some role to play in someone else's life. I love that line. You, I don't care who you are, have some role to play in someone else's life. Think about John the Baptist. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest among men born among women. His ministry was maybe six months, nine months, a year. Not about a year-long ministry. In God's mind, the role of a pastor, a minister, a priest is not superior to any other calling. How we live either blesses fellow imagers, reminding them of what life and harmony with God must surely be like, or curses them. What we do matters. And most of the time in small, unspectacular ways. And therein is the key. Here's the key right here. 
What we do matters, and most of the time in small, unspectacular ways. And this is what we do in our mind. We take unspectacular and make it insignificant, and that's a world of difference. That's a world of difference. There is no insignificant act in God. What does God want? He wants you. He wants a family. He wants coworkers. He wants you to know who you are and why your life is value to him. Amen.